one off. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I would say it's an honor to be with you, actually. <laughs> when Sam asked me to do this, I was a little nervous being new to the church and all, but uh, I am, uh, yeah. I th- I'm okay. I'm, I'm not going to really. Okay. I should be okay. <laughs> Wasn't that worship wonderful? That was the, I love that Fall of Fresh song. We just need a fresh anointing, don't we? Every day. So a little bit, a um, little bit of introduction. My wife tells me, you guys know Stephanie, right? The Stephanie show. But uh, <laughs> she assures me that people don't know me very well, which is because I'm the introvert in the family. So I tend to be the quiet one in the back. You'll kind of see around. But uh, my name is Mike Schurz. You guys probably know we have five kids, um, two, two boys, three girls. So uh, one's in college now and the others are making their way up. So uh, I, I, te- I tease everyone. I said I haven't slept in 18 years. So if I look tired, that's why. But um, kids are awesome, as you guys know. But it's, it's been a pleasure to to be at this church, I think since January, we started coming just before uh, the uh, the move here, um, found a home church. We moved back up to Anaheim last year, so we'd been in um, Temecula, Lake Elsinore for since 08, yeah, 09, so 10 years, 13 years, long time. Um, got an opportunity to move back up here, um, and we did, and it was hard with COVID and all that to find a church, but we really love this place. We feel God has called us here, and it's, that's a huge deal because for a lot of years, I didn't feel like we were home anywhere. We we're kind of bouncing around, and um, it really does feel like home. So I, I'm thankful for this group uh, and the ability to s- share with you today. Uh, before I get started on the message, I do want to, Sam has tended to do this for the last couple weeks, and I'd, I'd like to do the same opportunity, but Every week you kind of ask about, you know, yeah, we're, we're doing that weekly prayer and seeking God and asking, knocking, and asking, knocking. And he, he opens up the time and says, did anybody hear anything from the Lord? Did you have any experiences? Did he answer prayer? And I wanted to open that up again this week because I think it's important for us to, um, to testify to what the Lord's doing, right? The scripture says they overcome by the power, the word, and every testimony. So if anyone has something, uh, just share it now. It would be, it would be great to hear. Um, if the Lord has done anything this week um, that you want to give praise to. I can share. I, um, I have been uh, super thankful for that. It's awesome, yeah. Sometimes it's all about the timing, right? The, the field isn't ready yet, and when you're ready and the field's ready, then you sow. And so. <coughs> Anyone else? Yeah, go ahead. Thank you for sharing, yeah. Those God moments, I mean, we, I don't think we'll know. We definitely won't know until the end, the little moments that we didn't even recognize that God brought together and like, oh, over shoes, Lord. I didn't yeah. think it was that big of a deal. I just, you know, he said you give a cup of cold water. So it, it's just the little things. You don't even know uh, how you might affect somebody's life. They just need to be loved. They need to be seen, right? God is in the business of seeing people, and that's what we need today we see that a lot in the pandemic and the mental health of young people they just they're lost they need to be seen that's not the message today but that's a message that the lord sees so 
Um, today we're going to do Discovering the Lord in the Storm. So uh, there's some notes that went out. Hopefully everyone got them. I, there are some pens I brought too because I realized that people don't write anymore. <coughs> and I thought we should have brought pens. So uh, Stephanie, the master of ceremonies, has all the pens. <laughs> so you can, you can keep those. They're actually from my university. So <laughs> they're swag. <laughs> but if you uh, want one, they're, they're there. So. Uh, yeah, today's text comes out of Matthew 14, so we'll read it together, and then we'll dig into it. Matthew 14, so it says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. We've heard that before, right? And they call him a ghost when they saw him. They said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus said to them, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter said, tell me to come out on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And they climbed in the boat together, and the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Lord, we ask that you would open up the word to us, Lord, that you would put aside anything I may have prepared that is not from you, and that you would open up our hearts and minds, Lord, and allow me to speak whatever you have. We thank you for your word, Lord. We, we thank you for the ability to access it in a way that is beyond any, any ability in human history, Lord. It used to be a, a month's salary for one page, Lord, and we have it readily available in, in all sorts of languages, and we just don't want to take that advantage. Take that for, for granted, Lord. I just ask that you'd help us to see your word today. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. It marvels uh, me every time I think about it, but the average American home has five Bibles. Um, and that scares me in some ways because to much is given, much is required. We have no excuse as a people, do we? <laughs> For not knowing. A little bit of background to this passage. is kind of important to hear uh, what was happening just before this. So uh, Jesus was ministering down in Capernaum, and he hears word that John, his, uh, his cousin, is dead. He's been beheaded. So he, he decides he wants to be alone for a while. So he gets the disciples, and they get in the boat, and they start going up the lake, uh, trying to get away from the crowds, and probably to mourn, to kind of reflect. Jesus always went away um, to pray often, as you guys see over and over. You know, And we, we need to reflect on that, actually, because if Jesus himself needs to re- pull away from everything and, and pray. We probably should be doing that too. But So he, he's, he's going up the lake and the crowd sees him and they're following him. So I don't have a map of the Lake of Galilee, but he's, he's going up north, basically trying to get away, and the crowd sees him and you can see across the lake on a clear day. And they see him and they're following him north. So they're And it's picking up steam. So each little town they go to, more and more people are hearing about Jesus and wanting to see him. So they keep moving up with him, and he eventually sees the big crowd and decides to land. And it says he has compassion on them because they're like a sheep without a shepherd, and he teaches them. So he's giving them basically a sermon there. 
And then uh, it's getting late in the day. And he says, this is where the feeding of the 5,000 happens. He says, it's getting late. Let's feed the people. And they, you guys know this story, right? He says, we don't have any, anything to give them. They put these five loaves and two fish. And then he breaks them apart, gives, feeds all the 5,000. By the way, that's men. So there was more than that, more than likely 10,000-ish people. Feeds them all. There's 12 <coughs> baskets left over. And this miracle is so amazing that the people, according to the book of John, the people want to make Jesus king right now. So they're ready to anoint him as king. And he immediately, this is why he says he immediately sends the disciples away and wants to dismiss the people. He doesn't want them to get caught up in this, right? Because he's, this is not his time. He is very specifically, you see throughout the scripture, particularly in Matthew, he's telling people, he heals somebody, he says, don't say anything yet, Right? Don't say anything yet. It's not his time. He had a very specific day he was going to reveal himself. Does anybody know what day that is? Close. Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. And if you, uh, Chuck Mister does a good job of this, but he actually says, shows that that specific day is, is um, so many years from the time when um, the prophecy about the, the Messiah will show up. So he's, he doesn't want to be anointed too early. This is, everything is in his plan, right? The whole ministry. He's timing it out. For this one day, I'm going to show myself, and they're going to lay down the palm front, and I'm going to march in, and then a week later, that same crowd will be yelling, crucify him. Well, we know that. But so he says, I don't, this is not the right time. So he sends the disciples off and says, go, go to the other side of the lake. Um, I need to dismiss this crowd. So he dismisses the crowd, back home so they're walking back down and then he goes up to the mountainside and pray okay so that's kind of the background of what's happening so you see there's a immediate a miracle happening the disciples literally saw probably it's probably the i would say it's probably the most well-known miracle one of the, one of the well most well-known the feeding of the five thousand. you could probably ask anybody on the street and they've heard of that so it's, it's important to understand that that's the context there's all this going on uh when they set foot uh in the boat and on their way. Just a side note, uh, I don't need to dig into it, but if you read the account, so this is also in Mark 6, John 6, and then Matthew 14. Um, each of the Gospels has a different um, a different presentation of it. They're, 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 they're all similar, of course, but they all have a little bit different nuance. And so sometimes you'll see in the Scripture there's, there's um, apparent contradictions in there, and it's worth digging and trying to figure that out because that's a different talk but there's like particularly in um, I think it's uh, Mark's version he says they're going to Bethsaida and the other side of the lake and then and they end up heading to Capernaum and it's fun to try to figure out okay what's happening and uh, what's going on there but um, when you read it just it's good to read all the different accounts and kind of get a fuller picture because they're all telling you a little bit different things or trying to highlight a little bit different uh, aspect of the story for instance uh, Matthew's version is the only one that has Peter walking on the water. So the others don't have that. So it's not particularly shocking when you know that Mark is Peter's gospel. So perhaps he left that story out. Perhaps he didn't want that part <laughs> remembered. Um, we see that actually in another time too in the garden when Jesus is arrested. There's a, a story that's left out of one of the gospels that's not in the other. So <laughs> it's interesting to see how they recorded different things. But yeah, Matthew's the only one that that, that gives us the Peter story. So, so I want to <coughs> give you a couple um, things that I saw when I was reading and reflecting on this, and that's where the notes pick up here. 
Um, the first one is that the disciples were in the will of God, but they're still in a storm. Anybody been in a storm? Anybody challenged in life and think, am I in the will of God? All the time. <laughs> am I in the right place, Lord? This is very important because, yes, there are times when you're out of the will of God and things will happen. Right? He heals somebody and says, stop sinning or worse will happen. So we know that's the case. But there's also the time when you're actually in the will of God and you still get caught up in the storm. Right? There tends to be this idea that if you're, if you're suffering, then you must be doing something wrong. What's the book that deals with this over and over again? Job, right? Job's advisors. And they just hammer him over and over. Job, just, you're obviously doing something wrong. You must have irritated God or made him mad or done something wrong. And over and over again, the Bible tells us this is not, none of this was Job's fault, right? At one point, he does challenge God, and that's a powerful chapter, by the way, when God answers him. So you should read that because, yeah, that, that's a powerful chapter. But Job's advisor is wrong, and sometimes people, they get it wrong. Just because you're suffering and dealing with hardships doesn't mean you're necessarily out of the will of God. doesn't mean you aren't. You need to examine yourself, Lord. Am, am I in a bad place? But just because you're going through the storm doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. We see this with, um, uh, in John 9, where Jesus heals the blind guy. And, and um, the disciples say, let me say, read it. It says, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that would be born blind? And Jesus says, neither of them. This was done so that God's will would be shown, right? So it wasn't that his parents sinned and that, that's what caused him to be born blind or the, the man's own sin. He was set up, born blind, so that he would encounter Jesus later. And in that encounter would bring glory to God. So sometimes there are things set up in life to bring glory to God later. And you don't know when that's going to come. But that's the case. So clearly here the sovereign Lord knows what he's doing, right? He sends them away. The word here, sends, in, in the Matthew, is, is a, it's, a, it's almost like coerced them to go. He forced them to leave. They didn't want to leave. He said, you have to leave. You need to get in the boat and go. And I already told you kind of why right, because they're trying to set up a king, but he, he forced them to go. He made them go. So definitely they're in the will of God here, right? They're, um, <laughs> they're doing what he said, and they still encounter this storm. So it's important for us to remember that, that sometimes when we're in the will of God, storms are going to come. Second thing important to note is that they're not out of the Lord's sight. And for this, we have to go to Mark. So Mark gives us, again, each one has a little bit different uh, presentation, but in Mark 6, he tells us that they were seen, right? So that uh, his disciples saw him straining the, the oars because they were against the wind. So even though you're in the storm, the Lord still has his eyes on you. He still sees you and knows what you're going through. He knows the struggle you're in. He has not abandoned you, even though often it feels like that. C.S. Lewis, who all of you hopefully know, wrote a number of books, one of them, The Problem of Pain, right, where he works through kind of a philosophical discussion of why do bad things happen. And he works through, like, on a very logical understanding of bad things happen and why, and, and, and it's a good presentation. But then if you read his other one, A Grief Observed, has anybody read that? So A Grief Observed is his reflections when his wife has cancer. And it's very hard to read. 
because it's not this logical I can prove why suffering must happen to it's a God where are you right now there's a passage in that uh, book where he says why is it when things are going good I can feel you but when it's hard you're gone you're gone it says like I'm sorry I'm knocking on the door and you're not there anybody felt like that before where are you that's a grief observed you should read that book it's powerful and it's challenging because you're this is C.S. Lewis this is mere Christianity guy and here I am where are you God why don't you listen why do I think it says I knock on the door and you slam it in my face that's what it feels like and it's empty and you're not there those are real emotions you know David has those read the Psalms. I'm being chased for nothing. You anointed me. I didn't want this. <laughs> you anointed me. Now I'm being chased, going to be killed by Saul. I'm living in a cave. Where are you at? Where are you at? And the Lord wants to remind us that he's always got his eyes on you, even through the difficult times. Psalm 139 says, You have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. He has his eyes on us. He's not let us go. From the moment we were born to the moment we die, he has his eyes on us. He loves us more than we could possibly imagine. No matter what happens, he's there for us. He's fully aware of our situations and our struggles. We see this at the woman in the well, right? He knows the story. He understands her history. She's sitting at the well, and he says... You know, bring your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, I know you have multiple. And this per- person with now is not your husband. He understands our situation. He knows our pain. He knows our history. And he sees anyway. And he loves anyway. And then Nathaniel under the fig tree, right? He tells him, I saw you under the fig tree, Nathaniel. I saw you and I called you even then. So the Lord sees us in the midst of our struggles. And he's always got his eyes on us, waiting for us to be with him again. The Lord had a desire to be with them in the storm. So shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. So here we see a picture of the heart of Jesus. He loves us and wants to be with us during these hard times. He doesn't just watch from the shore, right? He actively takes a step to go be with his disciples and walks next to them. The scripture is full of events where we see this kind of heart of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus for people. He sees us in our suffering and he wants to help. Matthew 14, the feeding of the 5,000 already said, right? He pulls up on the lake and he has compassion on the people and he pulls in and he starts to teach them and then he wants to feed them and take care of their needs. We see the two blind men sitting on the road in Matthew 20 and it says, when they heard Jesus was going by, they shouted, right? Lord, son of... Uh, son of David have mercy on us but the crowd rebuked them right and they told him to be quiet but they shouted all the louder this goes back to what Sam's been talking about knocking louder right knocking louder pressing in they didn't they weren't quiet but they they yelled all the louder Lord son of David have mercy on us have mercy on us they knew that they needed Jesus so he stopped them right and he asked what do you want me to do for you and he says we want to we want to see scripture says he has compassion on them and he healed them. 
Again, in Luke 7, the funeral procession's going. There's a young man who died, and the widow's there, and this is her only son. And the Lord sees her, and he has compassion, the Scripture says. His heart overflowed with compassion. And he tells her, don't cry, and then he raises up her son. The Lord has compassion for his people, and he desires to be with us in the storm. He doesn't want to leave us alone in the midst of the hard times. And we as Christians should model this compassion as well, right? The scripture is full of this, Colossians 3, 2, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians 4, 23, be kind and compassionate to one another. 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, all of you, be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate. So the heart of Christ for people should be evident in us as well. We should see people and be compassionate on them and want to be with them and want to help them through the storm of life. So the Lord, again, had the desire to be with him in the storm, so he heads out, and he goes with him on the storm. The next one is the Lord walked on their storm. He walked on the lake. And this is classic Jesus, right? He likes to walk on our storms so that he can reveal himself in a new and powerful way. He wants to take that thing that is hindering us and that's hurting us and use it for his power and his glory and to show the world that he is in charge of all of it. He didn't just get in another boat and go to see him. He walked on the very thing that was frightening them and concerning them. It's important to remember that these are fishermen, right? They know what storms are like. They understand what it is to be on that lake, and uh, they understand there have been trouble here. There have been trouble. So this isn't just the average person on the water. These are seasoned people, and they know they're, they're in trouble. Jesus does this all the time, and he can still do this today. He can walk on our sickness. If you have cancer or a broken heart or a damaged marriage, the Lord can walk on that storm and often does walk on that storm to come to you and to engage with you. Whatever the storm is, Jesus is Lord of that storm. He's in charge of all of it. Romans 8 38, 39 tells us this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any power, any height nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Right? That's a powerful verse that reminds us that He is Lord of all. He is not presently here in control of the earth yet, but He is coming. And he's going to right every wrong. And he's going to set everything to rights, as C.S. Lewis said. Right? He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the new man who shows us what the new creation is going to be like. And when he comes back, he's going to set it all right. He's going to wipe every tear. He's going to rectify all the problems. And we get to be with him forever. But make no mistake, he is Lord today. Actively Lord. It's just a matter until he comes and claims the title. But he has this authority, and he gave us this authority as well. He is in charge of all of it, no matter what happens. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He is all-powerful. He is the one who spoke creation into existence. And he can walk on any storm we find ourselves in. The next one, it's interesting, is they're not looking for or expecting the Lord in the storm. Anybody been in this place before? Where you're right in the middle of the storm, 
And the last thing you want to do is go to God. Sometimes you think, I'll figure this out myself. Or um, there's another way. Or, 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 or I'll run to, this is me, I'll run to the doctors or I'll go to friends or I'll go to self-help books or you go to uh, the YouTube and figure out what's going on. Or, you know, you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I solve this problem? And sometimes it takes us a while to realize we should be going to the Lord first in our problems. And maybe that's just me, but I, I, I have this problem sometimes where I think I can solve it myself, right? I, c- I can do this. I can figure this out. Um, I know you're there, but I, I got this one, right? I got this one. I can, I can think through it enough or wrestle with it enough or figure out the right levers to pull, then it'll all work out. And this is not uncommon. The disciples do this very same way. They're rowing the boat. I got it. I can do this. I'll just work harder. I'll work longer. I'll struggle more. I'll find the way. I'll make it happen. They're not even looking for him. Which is strange, if you think, because he said, I'll come, (laughs) I'm kind of right behind you. Let me dismiss the crowd. But they're not even looking for him. And I just marvel again that, that we are so similar, right? The disciples are so much like us. When you look at Peter, and, and, and when he pops off, I'm like, oh, that's been there before. When, when Thomas doubts, I've been there before. You know, and the, they all have their own struggles. And it's, it's just, it's awesome to remember the Lord picks those who are, <laughs> the world wouldn't pick, right? The Lord picks those the Lord wouldn't pick. So we need to remember that uh, we need to be looking for the Lord because he promised he would be with us. Matthew 28 says, Surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That uh, they need to, they weren't looking for the Lord, and, and we need to remember to look for the Lord. The next one, the Lord saw their fear, and he calmed it with his voice. The voice of the Lord is powerful, right? It created this whole universe. Let there be light, and there was light. That's a power we can't even fathom. I don't think we've ever, I don't know if you've ever sat and just meditated on that concept. Let there be, and there was, matter. Let there be the universe. This same voice sees the disciples and says, it's okay, right? Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. It's actually interesting here that it is I is actually the I am. It is I am, the I am. Don't be afraid, I am, right? He's hearkening to God's name. Don't be afraid. I am here for you. The message of Scripture is clear. God does not want us to be afraid. Over and over and over and over again. This is a really fascinating study, if you want to do one, on, on the word fear. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's such a powerful emotion that we have, and the, the Scripture's always telling us not to be afraid. Anytime an angel shows up, what does it say? Don't be afraid. Right? Jesus, I mean, he, he models this in his own ministry. But let's look at the Old Testament. Psalm 27.1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold. Whom, why shall I be afraid? Isaiah 41, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not, I am the one who helps you. Isaiah tells us the Lord says, fear not. And here, Jesus says, fear not. Psalm 23, the 
famous one. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam. Hearkening back to this, right? Even though the waters are roaring and foaming, Psalm 46 tells us we will not be afraid. It's interesting, sometimes you'll see the scripture the Holy Spirit it kind of weaves in these things that pull back to the Old Testament. It's like, oh yeah, there's some connections here. Even though the, the mountains be tossed into the sea and the waters rage and foam, I will not be afraid. And again, Jesus modeled this all the time through his ministry. Peace I leave to you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither, neither let them be afraid. In Luke 14, Fear not, he says, therefore you're more valued than the sparrows. So this is about provision, right? I'm with you, I'll provide for you, you don't have to worry about that. In Revelations, we see this, uh, Jesus in the future says, when I saw him, I fell at my feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, fear not, I am the first and the last. So not only in the Old Testament did God tell us not to fear, in the New Testament, Jesus tells us not to fear, but in the future, when we see him, he's still, don't be afraid. I am with you. He wants to calm our voice, our fear with his voice. He wants to let us know that I've got you. You don't have to be afraid. I know this is overwhelming for you. I know you're in the midst of these storms. I know things are chaotic and you don't know how to get there. I know you're struggling at the oars. I know you're doing all you can. But fear not. The I am is with you. The I am will be here with you and help you through. Next one, get permission before you leave the boat. So this is an interesting one because Peter didn't just jump out on the water, right? He actually asked. And this is important for us because sometimes we think uh, the idea we have is the right one. And then the Lord says, no, don't actually do that. Uh, we see this with uh, Matthew earlier when um, he's setting he, he, uh, the transfiguration, right? And he wants to set up the tabernacles. He says, Lord, let us set up these uh, three tents for you and Moses. And, and uh, he didn't, the Bible says in Luke 19, he didn't know what he was saying, <laughs> right? Sometimes we don't know what we're saying. So it's important for us to get permission before we, we do things sometimes. Uh, we don't want to be out of the will of God, even if it seems like a good idea. We need to make sure that we've checked it with the Lord before we, before we do it. Um, I'm actually, yeah. <laughs> get permission before you leave the boat. Um, get permission. The next one says, when you take your eyes off Jesus and you look at them circumstances, you're going to begin to sink. So here Peter's out of the boat. He takes a, le- a leap of faith and he yeah, he's doing well, and then he looks, what? He looks at the storm, and the storm is overwhelming. And the wind and the waves are overwhelming, and he begins to sink. This happens to us, does it not, all the time. We take our eyes off Jesus, and things get too overwhelming for us. And we start to sink, and we start to despair, and we start to think, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. It's important we get an eternal perspective. We need to have a vision of the risen Lord and who he is and what he's done, and to keep our eyes upon him. 
as we uh, traverse the storms. Drawing near to Jesus in worship will keep us focused on these things and help us to understand that He is the Lord of the universe. He is the one who can help us through the storm. <clears throat> the, uh, there's a great hymn I actually want you to meditate on. I'm going to play it for, for a second about turning your eyes toward Jesus. And it reminds us as we do that when we turn our eyes toward Jesus, it is in there that we can finally be at peace. So as this plays just for, I think, a minute, if you would just close your eyes or just reflect on it as it's playing and, and consider it's important to turn your eyes toward Jesus when you're uh, beginning to sink in life. Ooh, that's loud. That's too loud to play. You guys get it. <coughs> Great hymn. Turn your eyes toward Jesus. Look to his wonderful face. The things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. I think the words are, but um, turn your eyes toward Jesus when you're struggling and when you're suffering and when you're having a difficult time. Don't take your eyes off him <clears throat> or you'll risk like Peter did and you'll begin to sink because you'll be overwhelmed by what's happening. <clears throat> and when that happens, because it inevitably will happen, you need to know the source of your strength when these circumstances happen, when you're in over your head. What does Peter not do? He doesn't try to swim. Anybody think Peter was a, a good swimmer? Probably. You're not a fisherman and not a good swimmer. I'm sure he fell over a number of times. I'm sure he understood how to swim back to the boat. But what he didn't, what he didn't do is try to, in his own power, get back in the boat. Instead, what does he do? He looks to God and he says, help, basically. <laughs> you know, he's in trouble here. He sees that he can't do it on his own. He's in trouble. He's over his head. He's sinking, and he needs help. This is what we need to do when we find ourselves over our head. We need to look to the source of our strength. Look to Jesus and say, I need some help here. Pull me out. James 4 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's easy to be pride, prideful, right? And you say, I can, I, can, I can get out of this mess I got myself into. I can, I can dig my way out. I can navigate my way through. I can uh, manipulate the situation if needed. But the best thing to do when you find yourself over your head is just surrender. So, Lord, I need you to help me out of this mess. I've got myself into a mess, and I can't get myself out. I need you to do it for me. I need you to come and grab me and pull me out. Pull me out of this mess, Lord. Peter was smart because he knew that the Lord did not get out there on his own and that he could help him up in the time of need. So when you find yourself over your head, turn to Christ and say, Lord, I need your help. I need you and you alone can pull me out of this mess. Interesting here is that... Um, when you find yourself in the mess, and this is a, when I come out of the Matthew 8 one, um, it says, I said, don't expect the Lord to duplicate another miracle. So interestingly enough, Jesus uh, involved in a storm actually is twice. Oh, sorry. Um, in Matthew 8, we actually see this happens a little bit before. So you guys, sometimes people mix these two stories, but these are actually two separate accounts. So in Matthew 8, we have Jesus sleep at the boat. Right? You guys remember this one? They're out there. 
and the disciples are afraid they're going to drown. Um, and uh, they wake him up. And they're like, we need help. We need help. And what's he do? He calms the storm, right? So he immediately says, be quiet. Storm calms. They're like, this is amazing. I don't know about you guys, but anybody ever had the Lord do something and then you fall back into the same <laughs> trouble again and you think, Lord, I need your help. And then, oh, I, I, we forget, don't we? We forget all the Lord has done for us. You know, this is why the Old Testament, he's always having them set up monuments and things. So that then when we walk by, they would look at, oh, the 12 stones, remember when this happened? Or, you know, there's why there's so many festivals in the Old Testament to remind them of what's happening, right? It's not that they just like to party, right? But I'm sure they do. But all, all of those festivals have meaning. And if you haven't studied those, it's, it's actually a really good study to do. But every one of those is a reminder of what the Lord has done for the people. And we need to be reminded of what the Lord has done for us. I don't know if you guys are ever journal or do some thing, things like this, but it's really good to write down answers to prayer. We probably should be doing that as a group. Actually, when you guys, so we share every week, we probably should write that down so that we can look back and say, look what the Lord did for us. Look what the Lord did. I don't know if you've ever read um, from the Azusa Street Revival, the Assemblies of God started. There's a guy named um, John Mark Robeck who is a professor at uh, Vanguard. He cataloged all the miracles and, and went back and there's p- the pictures they have of wheelchairs and, and crutches and, and he, he put back the history of that because we lose that, you know. It would be great if we had history of that at the vineyard. A lot of you probably have stories, but I don't know if any of that was ever codified. Maybe it is. If there is, I don't know. One of you old people that were in the original days might know, but it, it would be great if we had a record of all that happened. And we could look back and say, look what the Lord did. And he could still do it again today. And disciples found themselves in another storm, and they're still afraid because they forgot what he already did. They forgot that Lord is the Lord of the storm. He was the Lord of the storm when he was asleep. And he's the Lord of the storm when he's not with them. But he's still the Lord of the storm. And we often forget what the Lord has done. So it's important to remember that don't necessarily expect the Lord to do the same miracle. He wants to do new things for us. Peter is drowning at this point. He might have thought back that the Lord will just calm the storm. Right? The Lord will fix this by just calming the storm. But that's not what the Lord did. Right? The Lord does not calm the storm here until later. What does he do? He picks Peter up out of the storm. So sometimes we look back, and it's good to remember, but it doesn't mean because God did it that way, he's going to do that this way. And I actually feel that for this church. The way it was done in Anaheim is not necessarily the way he's going to do it now. doesn't mean it's worse. In fact, it's better because it's new. And the people of today need things different than they did when John was around. The needs are completely different, right? We're living in a completely different culture with completely different problems. And the Lord needs to raise up leaders for this generation who are going to speak to this generation, who are going to heal this generation. And it may not always be physical. It could be emotional and and mental and, and all the other kinds of ways we need help. The Lord is doing something new. I feel that very strongly for this church. I think this this building was, <clears throat> in a lot of ways, always a transition space. 
you know, when I, when I heard we were moving, I was a little sad. I was like, oh, we just got established. But I felt like this was always going to be a transition space. We're already half, over half full. How are we going to grow in this little place? And the Lord wants to do something big and new and impactful in this region that is different. But he wants us to remember the past and look to the future because he's got a, a new thing for us, a new thing that's going to be different. And it's going to be what these, these people need today and what we need today. We need a new fall afresh, right? We need a fresh touch of the Lord. Next one, Jesus caught Peter immediately. So again, immediately is three times in this passage. Immediately they leave, immediately catches them, and later immediately. This is a sign of the Lord's grace. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm a little ungracious to my kid. When they screw up, I'll dig into them first before I help them. That's not what Jesus does here. He picks them up first, and then he challenges them about his faith, right? He didn't say, Peter, why are you doubting? What's your problem, Peter? Where's your, where's your little faith? You were walking, you failed. You know, just the way I, I might do it, right? I might just chastise him. He didn't do that. He immediately grabs him. He sees it, he's in need. And he goes and, and meets his need immediately. And then he works on his heart. This is just, again, a sign of God's grace, Jesus' grace, to reach out and to catch you immediately when you need help. He's, the second you're willing to call out to him, he's going to be there. He's waiting for you to call out to him. And he's ready to grab you. He's just, it's just for us, right? So Jesus caught Peter immediately. Next one here, sometimes even Jesus the Christ uses boats. So we, what we don't see is Jesus and Peter just walk to the rest of the shore. He could have done it, right? Him and Peter could have just kept walking. But he gets in the boat. That's, that's actually quite interesting because he doesn't need the boat. He's already walked halfway across, or more than halfway across the lake without it. Why does he get in the boat? Well, one, he wants to be with the disciples. But two, Jesus uses boats. Jesus uses doctors. Jesus uses therapists. Jesus uses teachers. Jesus uses us to minister to other people. Jesus uses the everyday, the mundane, the shoe store encounter, right? He uses the, the very things that we think, well, there's nothing holy in meeting somebody at a shoe store. There's nothing holy about a baseball game, but... God can encounter you and, and bring you into encounters with people anywhere. And so when I, when I was reading this, I was like, that is interesting that he uses, he uses boats. He uses the simple things, even though he could have done miracles. Sometimes the miracles are done by, again, like a doctor he brings in your life or a friend he brings in your life or somebody else who can help you out. No matter who is doing it, Jesus can still navigate through that and use those things in our lives. He will use the ordinary. He will use sometimes antibiotics to heal you. And sometimes he'll touch you and heal you without it. You know, it's interesting actually too, if you look at the scripture accounts, he never does the same miracle twice with somebody. Like the way he heals them. The blind guy, some, one time he puts mud in his eyes and says, go wash. 
Another time, he just heals them. And uh, every time is different. He does it differently. I think he does that because he doesn't want us to fall into some kind of pattern. Like, oh, if I just, you know, some kind of, uh, if I stand on my left foot and I say three Hail Marys or something. Because inevitably, I know that we love to do this anyway. But if it, he did it at the same time, if, if every time he made mud and put in people's eyes, what would we be doing when somebody was blind? We'd be making mud. <laughs> because we'd be thinking it's the mud that does it, right? But I think he purposely did it differently to show them that I don't, he, he heals somebody who doesn't even touch them, right? The, the centurion sends his, says, sends his servant and just say the word. He says the word and they're healed way over there. Right? Another time he literally says, go wash in the water. Can you see? No. Do it again. It takes him a couple times. Right? I don't understand that. Like, how come in one instance you can speak a word and he's healed? Another instance it takes you some time. I don't get it, but I know that it's probably to set up the fact for us that there is no pattern. It's not magic. It's not a ritual. I don't get to, like, manipulate God into moving, which is something we have a tendency to do. Right? If I just shut the lights down and put the fog machines on and, and, and then the spirit will move then, right? Or if I uh, crawl on my knees like Martin Luther so long, God will touch me. We're trying to always figure out a way to like force God. Yeah, we're in charge, Lord. You need to work on my timeline. You need to work when I need you. You need to work the way I need you to work. And he resists that. I'll do it on my time. And I'll do it when I want to. <laughs> and I'll do it how I want to. But no matter how he does it, it's always him doing the healing. Even if he uses a boat or a doctor or something else. Almost done here, the last two. Uh, the storm dies down for everyone. So Jesus could have said, look, Peter, let's leave these faithless disciples who didn't even bother coming out. Right? Peter gets a bad rap, doesn't he? I mean, we're always like, well, Peter, you sank. But he stepped out of the boat. The rest of them didn't step out of the boat. The rest of them didn't say, Lord, let me come to you. You know, Peter's always getting a bad rap when you look at it. He's, he's the easy one because he's always stepping out and trying to do stuff. But he could have said, Peter, let's leave those guys, and you and I will just walk to shore. But he didn't do that. He gets in the boat, and then the storm dies down as he steps into the boat. And it dies down for everyone. He's not just leaving the rest of them to their own. For not going out, they weren't punished, right? His grace was enough for all of them. God will take you where you're at. God will take you and move in your life, no matter measure of grace you have or faith you have, right? Sometimes your faith is strong. Other times it's just help. Anybody been there? That's the only thing I can say. Help. I don't understand it. This is like C.S. Lewis. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know where you are. All I can say is help. Or where else am I going to go? Right? You alone have the words of life. Anybody been there before? I don't get this. I don't know why it's happening. But you alone are the, the answer. So I have to wait on you. I've had this happen a few times. And and. And I've struggled, Lord, why did you let it happen? And the only times, the only time thing he said to me for this one event was, my grace is sufficient for you. He never did tell me why. 
He let that happen. Why did you let that happen? My grace is sufficient for you. And that's hard because I want to know why. I want to know why. But the Lord's grace, no matter where you're at, no matter what level of faith you have, if you just trust him, even if it's just help, he has enough for you. And he has enough for everyone who will come to him and seek his face. Last, and this is really the point of the entire um, exercise here, is that when they see this event, their natural response is, truly, you are the Son of God. So those who are in the boat worshiped and saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus is not just some miracle worker or somebody who feeds you when you're hungry. Right? He's the Son of God himself. And he uses the storm to show this. And he uses the storms in our life to show this, that he is truly the Son of God. Right? These, this is the purpose of the miracles, is to testify to the world and to us who he is. He's the risen Lord of the universe. He's the one who can calm the storm. He's the one who spoke creation into existence. He's the one who says, I have you, don't be afraid. He's the one who says, I see you when you're far off and you're struggling. He's the one who says, I got you when you fall. It's all about him. And everything that we're going to be seeing as a church should reflect this point, right? If we ever start to see ourselves as, look what God is doing, and it's not reflecting him, we're in trouble. This is where a lot of places go wrong. It starts to become about them. You know, Matt Redman, um, he stepped back from worship leading for a while, and he he ended up writing that song, It's All About You, Lord Jesus. Because it was like, when the music fades and all this stripped away, and I simply come, it's all about you. And at the end of the day, it's all about him. And we have to get that part right, I think, before we're going to see a significant move of God. And I know the heart of this church is there. And I think the rest of the, the church at large needs to remember this. It's, it's not about all the other stuff. It really is it's just about him. Um, can, can you guys come up and, and as we kind of close? Um, are, are you able to play that song? Okay. Uh, yeah, thank you. I've asked uh, Deanna to play that Turn Your Eyes uh, around, uh, toward Jesus. And as she does, I just I want to ask that if anybody has been in a storm lately and needs prayer, everybody feels like, you know what, Lord, I'm struggling and I'm drowning. Anybody feels like, Lord, I, I need a touch from you, a new touch from you. Is that me?